experience the fusion of church and state so thanks for tuning in to folk today folks we got a vigorous robust discussion today on culture history current events from a biblical perspective by the way we podcast at voice of truth with mike azinger you want to email us radio voice of truth at gmail.com so it uh, is great to be with you again today, folks. And uh, Pastor Leversey, how you doing? Doing great. All it's right. about summertime. It is uh, It's getting close. What is the official day? June. There's no official day of summer. It's just kind of when the earth turns on its, its solstice. It's when whatever. you smell your first barbecue. Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. That's good enough for me. All right, so we got a, we got a great show today, and uh, we're going to bring on Stephen McDowell from Providence Foundation who is a Christian author, and he's an authority um, on, on our Christian history. He's a Christian historian like David Barton, like uh, William Federer, and uh, a lot of other guys. These guys are top-shelf guys. Uh, Stephen McDowell, actually, he has a unique ministry pastor in that he, uh, he travels uh, different places in the world and teaches governments how to have a biblical government. What a ministry. How about that? That's wonderful. He spent a lot of time just a, a year or two ago in Colombia, um, <laughs> where they uh, sell a lot of drugs out of there. <laughs> but but something, the Lord's doing something there. Hmm. Uh, and uh, so he and I don't know if there was a team he went with, but he goes and he teaches um, on a b- biblical government. And he's an expert because he's taught, uh, he's learned our history and how our founding fathers did it in our Christian foundation. So we're going to talk with him about critical race theory, what's going on with that, how that is um, antithetical to what our founders Mm -hmm. believed. And then we're going to talk um, also in the second segment with Steve McDowell, we're going to talk about uh, what our universities and colleges were like when they were founded. Mm -hmm. They were not like they are now. <laughs> Just yeah. say that. All right. Uh, many of our universities and colleges came out of the Great Awakening and, yeah. and were started for Christian purposes. So we'll bring Stephen McDowell on in the second segment, and uh, we're going to uh, have a good time with him, learn a lot, and we'll talk about uh, some of the books that he's written. He's written many books. I've read uh, most or all, not all of them, but probably most of them. And um, uh, I just uh, love his stuff, love his stuff. We're going to talk just for a second here during the first segment as we kick off, Pastor, about this, uh, this article. Uh, I first saw this in my Facebook feed, Todd Starnes, who you've met, right? Right, yeah. And um, so Todd Starnes is a, a big shot, but just a humble Christian guy. I love the guy. Yeah. 
has a radio show and um, not as good as ours, but I think he's working <laughs> on getting to our, our level, don't you? We could help him. Well, we'll do that. So he, uh, he tweeted out, I think this is a tweet. Would you call that a tweet? I would, yes. yeah, if so, you want a millennial's perspective on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, by the way, I am a, uh, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not a baby boomer. I'm a Gen Xer. I just found that hey. out. We'll talk about by one year. You're not as old as I thought you were. I am. I'm that old. 56. I was born in 65. I'm 56. 43% of millennials stated they either don't care, don't know, or don't believe God exists. 43% millennials. So what generation is millennials? I thought I'd look that up and uh, t- to help folks. from Because we hear these, these uh, generation names uh, used all the time. And it's and unless you know exactly what they are, it's hard to get a perspective. So the baby boomers, my uh, well, actually the generation before me, the baby boomers, forty six to nineteen sixty four, Gen Xers, nineteen sixty five to nineteen eighty, and these are. Huh, I'm not. I, I, what I'm are a Gen you? Xer. You're a Gen Xer. What year were you born? Seventy seven. Seventy seven. On the day that you were born. <laughs> Millennials, eighty one to ninety six. So these are they're they're calling a generation fifteen years. I'm not sure why, but uh, mostly I don't know. Biblical generations, what 20, twenty years? Twenty years. Yeah. Okay. So these are a little shorter. But uh, Gen Z, ninety seven to two thousand twelve. Then the new generation, they're calling Gen Alpha because they ran out of letters. Hmm. So they're starting over. Gen Alpha starting over, and they'll have plenty of letters to go. I don't know what they got to do when they because Gen X just kind of popped out of nowhere, hmm. and it's a Gen X. It's kind of a sad, uh, a sad label to give a generation. I hmm. think it was kind of like they have no real identity, direction, and so on. And that's what this this article talks about. Just 26% of Gen X, 16% of millennials believe that when they die, they will go to heaven only because they confessed their sins and accepted Jesus as their Savior. All right, so biblical salvation, the Gen Xers, 1965 to 1980 birth, millennials, 1981 to 1996, only 26 and 16% believe that that when that you can go to heaven only when you become born again, when you re- receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, 26%, 16%. Now, compare that to the generation before me, mm. baby boomers, almost half of that generation believed in biblical salvation. Wow. But these new generations coming up, Pastor, they don't believe. It. We, we've not passed it on. We've failed. Hmm. Uh, and and uh, I think, you know, we're going to talk about critical race theory. We talk about it a lot. Critical race theory, look, it's, it's, it's nature hates a vacuum, yeah. and critical race theory is filling in oh. a vacuum. You know, I mean, these statistics go right along with Scripture. You know, the Bible tells us that where there is no vision, the people perish. And for a long time, we haven't had our eyes on the Lord in our educational systems, sadly to say, in our churches, um, in in so many vital areas of our culture. And now we see the fruit of that being produced where people really don't have any faith other than in themselves. And so we've promoted this self-view uh, above a God view, mm. and and we've entered into probably one of the most selfish generations that we've ever known, one of the most covetous generations we've ever known, and uh, and it's because it's all about me. All about me. 
Researchers found that among other recent generations, millennials have gone farther in cutting ties with traditional Christian views and normative biblical teaching. So this generation, uh, now look, it's not all bad. There's some real good news also if you just uh, read and watch the culture. Mm-hmm. This generation is also very pro-life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's kind of a paradox of sorts because even though this generation uh, coming behind us, these generations coming behind us, tend to be more secular um, and more relativistic in their in their thinking, right? There's no absolutes. But at the same time, uh, it's a strong pro-life generation, and I'm not sure why that is. Um, all right, so let's go to the generations before. Baby boomers, nearly half of all baby, baby boomers believe that when they die, they will go to heaven only because they confessed their sins and accepted Jesus as their Savior. All right, so half of baby boomers... Uh, that's the post-World War II generation. The World War II generation came home and had a bunch of babies. Those are the baby boomers, a bunch of them. <laughs> um, and then uh, then the, the Gen Xers after that, that would be 65, 1965 and on. That's my generation. So half of the baby boomers believe in biblical salvation. Uh, uh, 50% of them say, look, you have, to have, you have to be born again. The next generation, it goes goes by goes half half of that wow falls by 50 percent 26 percent of millennials six or uh, of uh, gen xers 16 percent of millennials it goes down 50 percent uh-huh. then down another 50 percent almost now, now that says something about a generational viewpoint as well because usually the generation previous whatever they invest in the next generation is what they grab onto and so You know, while we like to kind of dismiss these newer generations and say, oh, they don't have any belief. Well, I'm wondering, where have we been pouring our faith into the next generation? I mean, Paul was real big about this with Timothy. He told Timothy, hey, uh, you need to train up other men who will then train others up, who will then train others up. And to keep this cycle going of of investing in faith. And, And so, you know, there's probably a lot of parents listening right now. Maybe, maybe you've given up on trying to invest in your children the things of God. Now have them in church and have that family table time where you're mm. sitting around talking about your faith and about the Lord. I mean, this is a reflection not of just saying, oh, this generation, they don't care about God. I think it shows that previous generations have not cared very much about taking the time to invest in their children and in future generations concerning their faith. Well, that is certainly uh, a valid point. I, I saw this quote on Facebook, a guy named Russell Moore. He said this. I wrote it down, and I thought I'd use it. This is as good as time as any of the, following the point you made. But he said, we're losing a generation, not because they are secularists, but because they believe we are. 100%. Uh, I mean, the baby boomer generation that you're talking about, this is a generation that got so many times involved in you know, producing their careers and producing wealth and producing things that they could gather together here that, um, you know, we started to gravitate into the two job occupation in the home and, and then having our children kind of, you know, piecemealed out to other people that were basically raising them and teaching them. You know, that's not what was happening in the home uh, prior to World War II. You right. know, that's uh, right. the, the, the education primarily was done. In the home, I mean, there was public school systems, but the parents were very much involved with those. Um, Previous to that, most children were homeschooled and they were taught the Bible. You know, I mean, this was just what has happened. So we we, we did become more secular. 
Yeah. And we had, uh, like you said, we had stay-at-home moms back then. Mm-hmm. Houses were half the size they are now, and uh, not as many cars, and we have a whole lot of stuff now, And uh, but we've, we've drifted from God. If you go to the generation, the, the generation born during World War II, 90%, they called them the builder's generation, a staggering 90% of the builder's generation believe you treat others as you want them to treat you while less than half of millennials agree. So that generation, they had, they had a, a biblical worldview. I remember hearing, uh, I forget, uh, oh, a, a singing group, and the dad, was, uh, the dad was the leader of the group, and he's, he's quite old now, but I remember him giving his salvation testimony, hmm. and he grew up in grade school during, I think, like around World War II, and he told the story of how his whole class went to hear a local uh, preacher at a revival, hmm. and that's where he got saved. Wow. And he he uh, raised raising raised his kids, and now now his grandkids in the Lord because in a public school they went to hear a revival, and he got born again at wow. a revival. Now you can't read the Bible in school, barely. You can't pray in school barely, and uh, uh, that has a lot that has a lot to do with it. But as a country, we've said that's okay. We've not yeah. we've not rioted in the streets because they took the Bible and prayer mm-hmm. out of the out of schools in the Supreme Court. By the way, the, those were two issues decided by nine men in robes, just like Roe v. Wade was in mm-hmm. England. You know that Roe v. that uh, abortion was decided by election. Really? Yeah, yes, in America, it was decided by nine men in, in black robes, wow. and and um, um, anyway, so I thought that was a good uh, good way to kick off the show because uh, uh, that th- we're going to talk about critical race theory. This is this is why we have critical race theory mm-hmm. because it's filling a vacuum left uh, left by uh, the kicking God out of our 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 whole. Culture, yeah. our schools, everything. Yep. Something's got to fill the void, yep. Pastor. And uh, we're going to have Stephen McDowell on next in the next segment. Don't want you to go away. You will enjoy him very much. And uh, uh, you're listening to the Voice of Truth radio show with Senator Mike Azinger, Pastor Brian Leversey. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. This is your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, your co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey. And uh, uh, folks are experiencing the fusion of church and state. We're glad to bring it to them. We have a great guest with us today. We just uh, are honored to have Stephen McDowell with uh, the Providence Foundation in Charlottesville, Virginia, hometown of TJ, Thomas Jefferson Pastor. All right. Co-founder and president of the Providence Foundation, a Christian education organization whose mission is to train and network leaders of education, business, and politics to transform their culture for Christ. There you go. In 30 years of full-time work, probably over that now, with the foundation, Stephen has trained people from 100 countries. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. To apply biblical truth in all spheres of life. He has traveled to... 35 nations in six continents where he has consulted with government officials, assisted in writing political documents, advised political parties, and started Christian schools 
and Biblical Worldview Training Centers. Offered, authored over 30 books, videos, and training courses, um, and including the Monumental series, hmm. uh, the DVD. Uh, you were in that, series. Stephen McDowell, right, with Kirk Cameron? Yeah, I had a small part. Of yeah, that, a small know. part. Well, you were in it. Uh, you were in the video itself, and then there's a, a teaching teaching series that you sit down with Kirk Cameron in the Reagan Library. I've been there. That's an Why awesome place. Why didn't you place. do the Trump Library? I don't understand what, <laughs> what yeah. you should have done. Trump before there was such a Trump wasn't around yet. So um, we just are thankful for having you on, uh, uh, Stephen McDowell. Appreciate you coming in on the show today. Well, that's my privilege to be with you mike so we're going to talk about critical race theory uh this is the this is the existential threat this is what's going on right now and this is where where christians need to step up so maybe you could give us a definition of critical race theory uh you know from a a, a biblical worldview uh definition all right well critical race theory is really neo-Marxist ideology and Marxism is a religion. It's, you know, Marxism teaches the concept of the equality of all people, which sounds good, but what they, what it teaches is the equality of outcome, equal things. Everybody should have equal things. And so Marx and his buddies taught the idea that there are classes and that some are oppressors capitalists, what it was at that time, and the others are the oppressed, the workers. And so, therefore, the, the, the oppressed class needs to rise up uh, and throw off the oppressors. And therefore, if they do that, then they will gain equality. Now, that's what was taught, you know, early on in Marxism, and, and it had influence in, in the surfaced idea, serfdom of Europe at the time. But it was attempted to be taught in America, but Americans, uh, you know, they, we are founded upon the principle that every individual has equality before the law and the ability to labor hard, be productive, and succeed. So this idea of class conflicts didn't, didn't really take well in America, so these Marxists came up with a new idea. Yes. They said, well, instead of classes, let's have the race, let's, let, let it be race-based. And so now, you know, the, uh, the minority races are oppressed by the majority. And so the majority in America were the white, uh, Anglo-Saxon, Protestant males primarily. They're the highest chain of the oppressors. Everyone else is oppressed. And it was also promoted that women are oppressed, minorities are oppressed, all races are oppressed. And so those that are oppressed need to rise up, throw off the oppressor, and bring about so-called equality within society. So that's really the foundational thinking of the critical race theory. So this is a, this is a new philosophy, uh, for lack of a better term, a new philo- philosophy. It's just come about, it seems like, the last year, really. Or I'm sure it's been—I know it's been around since the 60s, but— but it's just now really coming into prominence. Uh, what are what are the origins of critical race theory? How how did this whole thing start? Well, 
again, it was just kind of a shift to Marxist ideology that really the, the, it was more of an intellectual idea in the 100 years ago. Uh, and, and the uh, universities, as they were becoming to be secularized in the early 1900s in America. But, as I mentioned, it, it didn't really make any progress because Americans, hey, we don't believe this. We have, we have the ability to, anyone can rise up. So it went, though, especially in the last few decades, uh, and, and we've seen the fruit of it, especially in the last dozen years, it went from a, a, a uh, intellectual idea, and it began to work itself out in every sphere of life, in government, in, in our schools, in our business uh, classrooms, so that this ideology, you know, which teaches basically, you know, America's legal system is escapely racist, America's history is an escapely racist, even America's church is an escapably racist, at least the white church. And so it's... It, it shifted from, you know, just the intellectual concepts among a few elite elites in the universities to to find its in the mainstream America. Now, under President Obama, it it leaped forward greatly because he helped push this ideology because he was trained in it in the the church that he put that in quotation marks that he went to, and so it it began to be pushed then. President Trump put, you know, stop to some of these ideas, forbidding this concepts to be, you know, uh, taught in the, in the federal government. But right. President Biden, one of the first things he did was to yeah. rescind that executive order. So that the reason it's come out where we see it everywhere, uh, unfortunately, is thanks to President Obama. <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. And and uh, Trump was putting a stop to it. Uh, Christopher Rufo, I think, has, has really brought this out uh, a lot, and uh, all of a sudden, Trump's Trump's privy to it. It's infesting the the government, their bureaucracies. He puts a stop to it. First thing Biden does, like you said, is put it, he reinstates it, and that tells you who's influencing Biden, who's running that White House. These leftists, uh, these leftists are. Uh, running the White House, and Biden's just a puppet. That's what I believe. Uh, go ahead, Pastor. Yes, you know, we talk on this show often about critical race theory right now because it's just so prominent. And, and it just seems to me that it's it's idealistic in the sense that, you know, this, this cycle that you have um, expounded on of throwing off the oppressor, it's this whole system that they're trying to bring in with critical race, series, uh, race theory just seems like it's uh, – so dangerous because there's no resolution to it. It's like, okay, well, you just go from one oppressor to the next oppressor to the next oppressor. And what it really does is it congeals the government as being the thing that's always on top, really oppressing the people because they're the ones who are essentially the referees or, or the redistributors or the ones who are trying to promote the equal outcomes. So it, it never really truly builds the utopia of equality that they're purporting it will. It just seems to be this endless cycle of strife instead of people just working hard to try to attain, you know, uh, some form of success. Can you expound on that a little bit and just talk a little bit about the dangers of this critical race theory? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Remember, critical race theory is rooted in Marxism. Marxism is a form of statism. Statism is the belief that the state or civil government is the ultimate authority in the earth, and as such, it owns and our controls all property. In essence, the state 
is our savior. That's mm. what Marxism, communism, democratic socialism, every form of statism teaches. This is the ultimate result of critical race theory or neo-Marxism. It's the end of really the founding principles of America. It's the end of capitalism. It's the rise of the omnipotent bureaucratic authorities, that is, statism. It, it means the end of private property, individual rights, equality under the law, federalism, free speech. You know, it's throwing off those unique principles that produced the United States of America, the most free and prosperous nation in history. Not perfect. We had our problems. But it was those principles rooted in biblical thought that is what America was built upon, and it's those principles that help to throw off, uh, you know, uh, uh, oppression and, and, uh, and unjust ideas that existed in the world. So really the outcome of critical race theory is the end of America as we know it, and it will result in the oppression of all people except for the few elite who are in control. Now, you know, and this is what communism in the, in the 20th century, which is a form of Marxism, you know, we saw those, these same ideas in a little different way uh, manifested in Soviet Russia, in the communist China, and other states where in the 20th century, 100 million plus of their own citizens were wiped out. Mm -hmm. And there was no equality, no prosperity, and only the the elite few who ruled uh, had any say-so at all. Hmm. And so that's the outcome of critical race theory if we allow it to continue to grow. Wow. And you know a tree by its fruit, and you, you keep making this great point about, um, about Marxism. Marx was a violent man an evil man. I mean, if you read, uh, I don't know if you ever read Intellectuals by Paul Johnson, he, he describes Marx uh, very well. Marx even was, uh, he was down for uh, making pacts with the devil. <laughs> I mean, he made suicide, uh, his, he had uh, one daughter who died uh, uh, in a suicide pact with her husband and another daughter who probably did. He was, uh, he was a violent man, a hateful man, um, and he, he came from a line of rabbis. He very, very intelligent, but but he was evil, and uh, and uh, the, the devil obviously used him in in a great way against God for uh, for this this Marxist theory that has spread across the world, and as you said, uh, produced a hundred million dead in in the in the twentieth century. Yeah, I think that's true of so many people throughout history is their their morality their their ideology follows their morality mm -hmm. so you know so people who reject biblical morality biblical character then they will adopt an ideology that allows them to justify what a evil action that yeah. they do and uh, that's the nature of, of fallen man that's so good you know and it, it's it's so confusing to a lot of people who are just introduced to this without any kind of historical understanding of what this critical race theory is, because it's packaged so well. I mean, they do a really good job 
of virtue signaling, like, you know, finding the villain, whether it be the police or whether it be this incident that happens over here or whether it be, you know, a history of slavery in our nation. And then they begin to deconstruct all of our, you know, historical heroes. They begin to paint them with this wide brush of of being the villain. And then they just virtue signal and virtue signal and virtue signal to try to justify this new system whereby we are going to punish those who have, you know, committed in our view, these atrocities, and then we're going to bring in this new era. And and really, the only thing that's writing on the back of that is, is like you have mentioned, is this government that's going to control everything. Can you speak to why this has gotten such good traction in our culture today and how this virtue signaling and social justice has kind of almost been the religion that has brought this ideology to bear in our culture? Well, I think one primary reason is because of the failure to teach our true history, Mm. Uh, that most Americans are ignorant of of American exceptionalism, the uniqueness of the founding of America. Therefore, when they hear, you know, uh, you know, there were uh, not you know, bad things that happened in early America. So when they hear all oh, uh, early Americans had slavery, they think, aha, that's right. We were founded as a, a nation built upon slavery. And, and so we were, uh, the whole foundation was, was wrong. Uh, but what they need to be taught is the true history is that yes, slavery existed in the world since the fall of man, right? And that it came to uh, America with the European colonizers, mm-hmm. not just Europeans, but the Africans, because they enslave one another as well. Mm-hmm. But it was the unique founding principles rooted in the Bible that gradually transformed the culture and law of America that that threw off right. slavery. People could rise above it, and the equality of women and biblical equality came about uniquely in America mm-hmm. due to those founding biblical principles. So if we would teach our true history, and then people could recognize, well, there's a little bit of truth in what you're saying. There is a little truth in what critical race theory people are saying, but they surround it with a bunch of lies mm-hmm. and distort it. And if we can't address that and say, well, this is true, but you're looking at it wrong, here is really the true history, we wouldn't fall for those ideas. So the secularization and failure to teach true American history is probably the primary uh, reason that we've fallen for a critical race theory today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we we put uh, God out of schools, we take the Bible out of schools, and we're leaving this gaping vacuum. For something and someone to fill, and it is being it is being filled by this Marxist uh, critical race theory. And like you said, the, the founding fathers, and I've learned much of this just from reading your books, uh, Stephen. But uh, uh, they they had their faults, and we always have to say that. Seems like we always have to <laughs> say, "Oh yeah, they had their faults." Of course, here's the but disclaimer: look, they were they they created in a document the greatest country in the earth. Mm. You don't do that. By being evil and having evil principles. These were people that believed in getting rid of slavery. But you have to look at the time, don't you? You have to look at at that era. Look, Jefferson, I just got done reading uh, Barton's book on uh, on uh, Jeff- Jefferson's lies. Look, he was anti-slavery. Washington was anti-slavery. These guys were anti-slavery almost to a man, weren't they? 
Yeah, exactly right. That that uh, even those, as you point out, that might have inherited slaves, like George Washington, grew to understand, hey, this is wrong, and it was their biblical the biblical worldview that permeated early America that enabled these liberating ideas uh, to grow. So, yes, there is evil in early America, but compared to what was happening in the rest of the world, <laughs> right? Uh, they they were uh, you know saints compared to that. So, yep. you know, my my suggestion to these modern uh, critics of early America, they need to get the log out of their own mm. eyes before they can get the speck out of the founders. You know, they talk, you know, founders were racist and, and had slavery. I would say, look, you're overseeing the destruction of 60 million unborn yes, children right. in Preach. our lifetime. Yeah. Right. 60 million. Yes. That's over a 50-year period. In the early America, there were 200 years of, 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 of slavery. In that time period, there were you know, 500,000 slaves imported to America. Most of them, those slaves, sold by their, their fellow uh, uh, Africans yeah. who captured them, captured them in war and sold them to Americans, instead of, sold them to the Europeans. Uh, instead of killing them. So 500,000 came uh, compared to we have slaughtered 60 million. Mm -hmm. So let's get the log out yep. of our eyes. Oh, my and goodness. We can deal with the speck in the founder's eyes. Amen to that. All right, we're gonna, one last thing. We're going we're gonna to go to a break here in just a second. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a stack. There's some encouraging stuff going on out, out there also. Some of these states are outlawing uh, the teaching of critical race theory. We're going to do it in West Virginia, I believe, next session. Hmm. Uh, a number of us introduced bills this year to do it. A lot of people don't know what it is yet. But uh, So here, here it's just some good news, Stephen. And then I just want to ask you, after I give these examples, what we need to do in America to, uh, to supplant this theories like this and the other ones that are coming after it we need to fill the vacuum with something, and you're the expert at it. And uh, and as soon as I read these, I, I just want to see what you think on that. Ohio Republicans introduced bill to ban critical race theory in schools. Cities reverse defunding the police amid rising crime. <laughs> the, the crime's going up. Oh, gee. Okay, well, let's put money back into it. <laughs> Federal court strikes down race-based restaurant bailouts in Biden's COVID-19 spending bill. Major League Baseball's uh, – look, I'm a big Major League Baseball fan. My wife and I watched every game up until this year of the Pittsburgh Pirates. But they're getting sued, and it's sweet, for a billion dollars for pulling the uh, All-Star game out of Atlanta, Georgia. And here's the last one here that I'll read. I've got others. Uh, Southern Baptist – church, uh, the SBC presidential hopeful, a guy named Mike Stone, I don't know him, but he wants the denomination to fully reject critical race theory because mm. it's been going in a bad direction. So there's just some good news, and there's more. Uh, Black Lives Matter co-founder resigns. <laughs> she couldn't find enough houses. She spent like $3 million. Stephen McDowell, how do we, uh, uh, wh what do we need to do uh, in, a, in uh, America uh so that we don't keep having to deal with things, uh, philosophies like critical race theory in our education, and it's systemic. It's in everything. Uh, what do we need to do? Well, as you point out, I mean, we can take action. Government, some governments are taking action. States are outlawing it, as you pointed out. 
uh, and I think many, many more will, we can uh, enter into lawsuits. And that's taking place as well against agencies or whoever that are violating our constitutional rights. We can take grassroots level action. Parents can mobilize, speak out at school boards and and right. whenever critical race theory is being uh, introduced, um, we can, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think the primary thing we can do is learn the truth of our history, our founding. Mm. That way we can, with gives us moral courage to speak out and to say, no, this is wrong. You are yes. wrong. Right. And so because we need courage to speak out because now I think. So many people are afraid to say anything because, yep. you know, they'll get fired at work or tortured on, on social media or whatever it may be. But if we have the courage of our convictions based upon truth, then we can stand up, we can speak, and that as more people do it, you know, as we work together in union with others, we become a, a, a strong force that we won't be intimidated by the minority who are really pushing this thing. It's mm. a small minority who are pushing this, and most people who kind of go along with it don't understand the nature of critical race theory. Right. And so we can educate our, our fellow man because we have truth and justice on our side in this issue. Steve McDowell with ProvidenceFoundation.com, co-founder. And uh, you guys, uh, you and Mark Belisle, right, co-founded 30 years ago? And uh, it's been going on almost more than 35, 37 years ago. Wow. 37 years ago. And you can find all his resources there, all his books, and uh, they are must-reads. I've read uh, America's Providential History. That was yours and Mark's first one, I think. That thing is still in print. It's just it's an excellent, excellent book. So we're going to talk about our uh, some, some education history in America, our Christian history and education in our universities and so on with Stephen McDowell. And we're going to be back right after this. Do not go away. You're listening to Voice of Truth Radio. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth radio show. This is your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, along with my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey, pastor at Fellowship Baptist Church. Stop by. Good preaching there. Hey, thank you. Sunday was good. It Stayed was. awake the whole time. <laughs> and, it's uh, a big improvement for either me or for you. I don't know I'm not sure what that was your preaching or I'm getting better character. <laughs> All right, so we have fun here. I do recommend highly. Uh, I did, you know, we had a church picnic Sunday. We did. It was and great. I had several compliments on uh, on your preaching. Oh, it's not my recipe. Yeah. It, you know, <laughs> no, wasn't your, it was not your recipe. It was your, it was your preaching. I actually got a couple compliments on a radio show, which great. gave me the confidence to ask Steve McDowell to come on hey. the air. So, uh, Steve McDowell, welcome uh, to the second segment of the uh, Voice of Truth radio show. And uh, if you don't know Stephen McDowell, if you've seen the Monumental DVD series with Kirk Cameron, this is when I knew Stephen McDowell was a big shot, when he sat down with Kirk Cameron. And uh, a great series. Stephen McDowell's in the video. And then he sits with uh, Kirk Cameron and does a a series of teaching on our Christian history in the Reagan Library. And Reagan himself is there with him. Hmm. Uh, They all three sit (laughs) there. But uh, we're honored to have you on, Steve McDowell. Thanks for thanks for your time today. Well, my pleasure, Mike. Appreciate all the great things you're doing. All right. So I uh, 
So I uh, follow. If, if you want to follow Stephen McDowell on Facebook, Providence Foundation is your Facebook page, right? That's right. And that's where all your all your books are. Um, many books. There is not a bad book that he he writ he, that he's written. Um, they're just they're just excellent. And um, matter of fact, I'm just going to segue real quickly here. I read. Uh, I met Stephen McDowell five six years ago through uh, the Fellowship Baptist Church when mm-hmm. we did a. A tour. A lot of folks in the Mid Ohio Valley went. Stephen McDowell was the host, and um, he he just we just went around D.C. and he told us all about it. Hmm. And so I thought, well, this guy, I'm going to start reading his stuff. I started reading his books. I read Building Godly Nations. I was just blown away hmm. by the great information in there. And uh, then I saw the, the uh, Monumental series, read the study guide, and we put together a a, a book from those two books into one book called The Bible, America's Source of Law and Liberty, and we've given it uh, to lawmakers in how many states now, Stephen? 20? Uh, 22 states that we've given copies to one or both houses of the legislature, many governors and others as well. So it's reached thousands of people, Hmm. uh, state legislators. And we've got two state legislators who are waiting on new copies, so anyone out there that wants to contribute to the cause, we ran out the first printing. How many was the first printing? Do you remember how many? How many? Uh, uh, boy, we've, uh, we've probably printed five or 6,000 of those, yeah. and, and, and uh, lots of them, you know, thanks to the donation of others we've given to the state legislators. Yeah, we give them away. We don't charge, so... Um, all right. So you uh, on on your Providence Foundation Facebook page, I saw that uh, a post that you made the other day. The original seal of Harvard University says uh, said for Christ and the Church. Hmm. That was the seal wow. of Harvard University. <laughs> and so we have a whole lot of uh, Ivy League schools, not just colleges and university, but Ivy League schools that have a Christian beginning. I think if I Remember the statistic correctly, 106 out of the first 108 colleges and universities in America were Christian-founded. Does that sound close? Yeah, that's, that's uh, right. And of, in 1860, there are 247 colleges. Over 90% of those were founded by or for the Christian faith. Wow. And the, the Great Awakening. Let me just read out of... Uh, out of your book, The Bible, America's Source of Law and Liberty, everyone must read this book, to transmit the theological, governmental, legal, economic, and general worldview coming from the Great Awakening. So the Great Awakening happened, this great revival in early America with Whitfield and Wesley and others. Uh, So they said, we need to teach these principles, and they started new colleges uh, what were those colleges, and, and uh, uh, do you remember the names of them? I'm giving a little quiz here out of your book. Yeah, well, before the Great Awakening, you know, the first college was Harvard, founded by those Puritans in New England to, to, uh, tra- to teach the truth of the Bible and train up godly ministers. Uh, college of William and Mary was founded in Virginia, uh, 1692, then Yale, 1701, founded by the Congregationalists in Connecticut to teach people how to understand the Scriptures. So those were the colleges around, but during the First Great Awakening, which uh, began, say, seven, you know, 1740s, 50s, 60s, uh, 
as you mentioned, a lot of new universities sprung up. Princeton University, uh, Dartmouth, uh, uh, Brown, uh, Columbia College, it was then called King's College, uh, started during that time as well. So most of these other, a lot of these other Ivy League schools sprang up as a result of the First Great Awakening, because when God restores truth that has been hidden, mm. those who think biblically recognize we must transmit this to future mm. generations. Wow. That's right. we, wow. gotta, we have to have pastors who understand this so they can teach it, yeah. and pastors were the primary educators. They mm. taught in the, not only universities, but schools that existed, because uh, they recognize it's our responsibility to pass on to posterity mm. all this truth, because you cannot prosper and advance as a society unless this truth is transmitted. And that's why they started these colleges and universities. In fact, that's why most of colleges and universities in Western civilization were founded by Christians for that very same reason. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, it strikes me, too, as we're talking about the, the founding, really, of our higher education system here in America, and it being, you know, directly rooted in, in biblical thought, a biblical worldview, the Bible itself. It, it strikes me there is no unspiritual uh, education. Every education has spiritual influence. So it's not like, okay, well, we're going to separate church and state here, and we're going to pull God out of the school. No, that creates a vacuum, and something spiritual is going to move in there. It's just not a good spirit, is it? Yeah, you're exactly right. All education is religious. Mm-hmm. This is an unescapable fact. Because all education is rooted in a set of presuppositions that a people consider to be ultimate. And that, you know, so education passes on a kingdom, a philosophy, a worldview, a religion. America's education passed on the concept of the kingdom of God. Mm. Now, the problem is, in the last century, century and a half, this this biblical-centered education has been gradually supplanted by man-centered secular education. So our founding education advanced God's kingdom. Secular education is advancing man's kingdom and man's ideology, where man is the ultimate authority. There is no truth, relativism. There's no right or wrong. That's the primary doctrine of modern government schools. Uh, Positivism, that is... Uh, that you can't uh, uh, you can't look outside of this creation in order to explain anything. In other words, that discounts God. There's no outside force that comes and intervenes. That's a, a basic tenet, and the fact that man is is the uh, highest authority that there is. And so it is religious, and that yeah. we're teaching religion in our government schools. It's just a bad religion that produces <laughs> bad fruit. That's right. I'm just reading uh, reading from your book here. Uh, Harvard College, established in 1636, as you said, that was the first one, right? J- uh, Reverend John Harvard started it, is that right? Um, well, he donated land, so they used his name. Uh, okay, so uh, here is the original rules from Harvard College, 1636. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And it goes on. So is this, is this an aberration, or 
or were, were most or all the colleges and universities established with the goal of pushing their students to know God and Jesus Christ? That was the primary reason. You know, Yale University, the third, says all scholars shall live religious, godly, and blameless lives according to the rule of God's Word, hmm. diligently reading the Holy Scripture. So getting to know God, transmitting the truth, was Harvard, Yale, William and Mary, Princeton. Her, her uh, motto was, under God's power, she flourishes. Hmm. You know, King's College, now Columbia. This was was uh, typical. Like here's King's College, when it advertised its opening, it says the chief thing that is aimed at in this college is to teach and engage the children to know God and Jesus Christ, hmm. to love Him, and on and on and on. So, so this was the reason for education for almost all of those early colleges. Stephen McDowell is on with us with Providence Foundation. You can find his his uh, books and all his articles and so on at ProvidenceFoundation.com. By the way, we, uh, we used an article that out of yours and uh, Mark Bilal's uh, book on um, Lexington, Lexington and Concord hmm. a couple of months ago uh, at its anniversary. But uh, just uh, we're going to finish up here in just a second here. But uh, in terms, Stephen, of like K-12, what did what did they teach the kids? How did they teach the children um, in our in our beginning in in early America? Well, the model in early America was much different than today. It was centered in the home because they believe the parents have the right responsibility to govern the education of their children. So it was home centered. Then it was supplemented by tutors or these schools. The early ones were in different people's homes, and ministers were the primary educators. So that's how Thomas Jefferson and James Madison were educated at home. Then they had pastors who were tutors who tutored them. Uh, And then some few would go to these colleges or universities. Most would go in an apprenticeship program so that they could uh, go and be, be productive, producing needed goods or services for their fellow man. But but all you have to do is look at the early textbooks, and you can see how biblical they were. The New England Primer was the primary textbooks from 1690 all the way through the 1700s, sold over 5 million copies. But just it, the way it taught reading, for example, it used a rhyming alphabet. So you learned A, and then you learned this little rhyme. A, and Adam's fall, we send off. Mm. B, heaven defined the Bible mind. C. Christ crucified for sinners died, and on and on. So when the the children learned the alphabet, they were learning biblical truth and ideas. And then this would be true for for, uh, Webster's Blueback Speller. It sold over 100 million copies during the 19th century. Mm. McGuffey's Readers, he was a Presbyterian minister, wrote those famous books that are thoroughly biblical in the things that, that they taught. So all the early textbooks, uh, and the schools and universities r- reflect this uh, biblical foundation and Christian view of life that early Americans had. Hmm. That is fantastic stuff. Steve McDowell with Providence Foundation, it's been an honor to have you on, and uh, it's an honor to call you friend, and we appreciate your time very much. Um, we're going to have you on again, whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like it. All right, brother. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a have a great day. Appreciate uh, appreciate your time.
Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I hope you heard the last segment, uh, Pastor. We had a great guest on, Steve McDowell. That was phenomenal. Oh, man. ProvidenceFoundation.com is where you can find his books and articles. And uh, we just talked about critical race theory from a biblical worldview. And then we talked about our Christian history in terms of our education, universities, and even K through twelve, how yeah. how were we taught? What did we what did they learn back then, and so on? Eye opening. Oh my goodness, it really is. So now we're going to bring you down a couple levels. <laughs> we're talking etiquette. It's the last segment, and we always talk about etiquette. I think we do this for ourselves more than I think so. You we, all folks need to straighten up out there, <laughs> sit up straight, and uh, so do we. We need to put our napkin on the on our lap. We haven't done that one yet. I wonder if that's in the list I later don't know. on. Yeah. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> right. I already feel like I'm going to burst with all I've learned about etiquette already. <laughs> all right. So last week it was wait a day before reacting to a snarky email or text. Push your chair in when you leave a table. Uh, ask before bringing a guest. Wait until everyone has been served to start eating and be a good dinner guest. That was last week. All right. Did you practice all those thoroughly? No. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. I think I forgot them once oh, I went out, the, uh, went out the door. All right. Here we go. 31. This is cool. I like this one. All right. Sit like a royal. Oh. Sit like a royal. Have some majesty in the way you sit. Sit, sit with <laughs> dignity. I'm kind of slumpy right now. Yeah, I'm slumping as I read this. <laughs> it's rebuking me as I yeah. read it. That's, uh, do you find like yourself when somebody says something like that to you, you just kind of automatically you you, you stiffen up? You know, you're like, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> Sit like a royal. That's good. 32. Stay. My phone keeps. Stay home when you're sick. Yes. See, this is a hard one because, look, you get sick, you're thinking, if I don't go in, uh, they're going to think I'm lying. Yeah, or I'm weak. Or I'm, <laughs> yeah. You know. Okay, so walk it off. So, you know? Right, exactly. So what do you do? But don't you think the whole like uh, pandemic thing changed the whole culture of that? You know, because yeah. I know people used to just always go to work sick. You know, you hear them coughing, hear them this, and now it's just like no, no don't way. do that now. It did. It, you know what else it did? It closed down salad bars. That was the, bad, <laughs> that was the second bad thing. The uh, Golden you know, Corral is is shuttered. I always, Doors locked. It's true. I always saw at the salad bar the 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 shield. <laughs> As a constant reminder of gross. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, like, I know. Oh, exactly. All right. Number 33. We got 50 of these folks, so tune in uh, in future weeks because you get to hear these. <laughs> Knock before you enter. Yes. We have a little kid down the street who we had to teach. <laughs> she just walked right. She's five. She's cute as five. I'm home. She just walked in. Hi. Um, Maggie, can you knock the babe, sweet little girl? She is cute as pie. All right, number 33, knock before you enter. 34, remember your table manners. Hmm. It's always good. What are they? <laughs> they don't say. They're not yeah. spe- they don't want to be judgmental. Yeah. Right? Whatever they are, though, remember them. Yes. Number 35 is, last one for this week, reach out to people who are grieving. Hmm. And that's true because a lot of times we don't know what to do. Yeah. So what do we do? This is a good pastoral question. Yeah. Somebody's grieving. You run into them somewhere or, uh, you know, you don't know whether to call, send a card. Do you bring it up when you run into mm-hmm. them in public? What do you say? How do you handle that? I think people end up ignoring folks that need help because they don't know what to do. And I think you want to connect with them. I think you do bring it up. I think you do. Not in an overt way, not in a way that is pressuring somebody to 
But just be there, be present, say, hey, I know what you're going through. I understand that you have a severe loss. I'm here for you any way that I can be. But to ignore a person during a time of grieving, I think, is the worst thing you can do. Yeah, I think it's it tends to be my first instinct. Mm-hmm. But uh, but if you love your neighbors yourself, it's greater you think, pain to be alone in your pain. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, good point. And uh, to not say anything is, is a cruelty, even if you think you're being calm. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, I think somebody grieving who's been gone, going through pain or been through pain, even if you know when you bring it up, they're going to tell you all about it for a half hour. Yeah. <laughs> Some people do that. Yeah. But uh, loving your neighbor is bringing it up and, and telling them, mm-hmm. you know, at least acknowledging it. And that's yeah. that's showing love. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. 50 little social etiquette rules everyone should follow. That's the article. And it's from townandcountrymag.com. I don't tell pastor what these are, are. I just spring them on them. So don't <laughs> if you run into them, don't get ahead of us and <laughs> say, "Hey, pastor, uh, guess what next week's going to be?" Don't do that yeah. because uh, uh, that's unfair. I don't want him to. I don't want him to have, <laughs> Too much pressure. have a stuff. All right, you're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. We appreciate you folks listening every day. We have a blast down here. We're going to keep doing it as long as the Lord allows. Mm. Have a tell them about our podcast again before we. Oh, podcast, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Voice, of Truth, Voice of Truth Radio. I don't know. I don't have it in front of me. Hold on. Voice of Truth Radio. Hold on. Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. With me, Mike Azinger. Yeah. There you go. So that's where Look we us podcast. up, download us, we share got, us with we friends. We've got them all downloaded there, don't we? Yeah, we do. You can or share them. You can, you can send the link to other people. Yeah. If you like a show, send the link to that show to somebody you know. Yeah, share it. And um, you can always, always uh, communicate with us, radiovoiceoftruth at gmail.com. And... We would appreciate if you do both those things. All right. Anything else before I try to leave? I tried to leave. You wouldn't let me. Should Let's let people go. I think that's one of the etiquette things is know when to, know when to end it. <laughs> I thought you were going to do a Kenny Rogers yeah, song. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, folks. Have a great day. You're listening to Voice of Truth Radio with Mike Azinger or Brian Leversey. I'll see you next week. I will choose to live.